Please, if you would, would you take a Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 1, and if you would stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, in this season, which is often full of extra activities, Often we're thinking of uh, others and, and what we might uh, uh, do for them or give to them. We ask uh, for ourselves, Father, that we'd let go of everything we need to release in order that we might receive uh, from you. Lord, uh, grant that our minds would be clear, uncluttered, undistracted this morning that we might be able to uh, listen closely uh, to Scripture and give us aid, Father, both in speaking and in listening, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're beginning in verse 18 of the first chapter of Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. Well, Matthew's gospel is very much like a modern biography. As it begins, he begins with uh, the background, the family background and the birth of Jesus Christ. And last week we saw that Matthew surprises us by including uh, four uh, women whose uh, stories include scandal and tragedy and redemption. And in this way, Matthew's telegraphing that there's going to be something unusual, something not normal about uh, the birth of Jesus. Um, Mary's child is... His conception and his birth are outside of our ordinary experience. We simply don't have categories for what we are told here in our text. Mary's son is conceived by the Holy Spirit and named by God himself. And the Bible uh, recounts in detail the births of those who have a special role to play in God's purposes. And if we had Jewish eyes, we would see what would have been apparent to Matthew's intended audience. 
and they would see that all of chapter 2, not just what's in chapter 1 that we've read, but the entirety of chapter 2 is his birth uh, narrative. They would have recognized uh, the patterns and conventions used in these other birth stories in the Old Testament, such as Isaac and Moses and Gideon and Samuel. And these stories begin with a, a childless couple or a, a woman who's unable to conceive and an angel comes and announces that God is going to uh, grant them a child. The birth is accompanied by miracles or other extraordinary events. Hostile forces threaten the child. God intervenes to protect the child. And the child grows up to be a person with a special destiny. This is, in fact, the pattern that we find in Matthew's gospel as he recounts the birth and infancy of Jesus. Matthew does this not only because these things actually happened, and he leaves out what Luke tells us uh, about the events surrounding Jesus' birth, to show us that Mary's child is the most important child in God's plan, the most important child born in human history. And Matthew doesn't make us wait until we've read the entirety of his biography to discover why this is so. He uses God's naming of the child to tell us his identity and his destiny. His name is Jesus, which means the Lord saves, or God God is Savior. And his name is Emmanuel, God is with us. This child is a gift being offered uh, to us. It's a gift that answers one of the most basic questions that everyone has. What is God like? Now, the Bible says that everyone has a relationship with God. The question is, is it a good one or a bad one? Is it one where you enjoy each other or is it one marked by uh, conflict? Uh, One where there's great uh, distance? Everyone at some uh, level relates to God in keeping uh, with their understanding of who he is, of what they think he's like. And if you'll listen this morning, you may be surprised uh, to see just what he is actually like. Now, Matthew tells the birth of Jesus Christ from Joseph's point of view. Mary was pledged to Joseph But before they consummated the marriage, Joseph discovers she's pregnant. And he has a difficult decision to make. Now, unlike engagements today, couples who were engaged were younger than we're used to. Mary was probably between the ages of 12 and 14. And Matthew between the ages of 18 and 20. Betrothal was more binding than our engagements The groom had paid part of the bride price to show the seriousness of his intentions. The betrothal ordinarily lasted a year, and they were uh, viewed in some ways as legally married, which is why uh, they're referred to in the way that they are. Um, Anyone who approached uh, one of them uh, would be viewed as engaging in adultery and... um, To break off this 
relationship required more than just a difficult and unpleasant conversation. It required a legal divorce. Now, while waiting for the public ceremony, the joining and the wedding feast that would accompany it, Joseph came to realize that Mary was pregnant. Just how did he discover that? Well, the obvious way, she was showing. Didn't Mary tell Joseph about the angel coming to her? Apparently not. Doesn't factor into his thinking about this situation at all. And you may wonder, well, why would that be? Well, one of the reasons could be, beyond her being away for the first three months, is that betrothed couples were closely supervised. They were intensely chaperoned uh, during their betrothal. And so she may not have had that private moment to give explanation. We don't fully know. But it is certain that Joseph concluded what anyone in his place would have, that he had been betrayed, that uh, she had slept with another man. And Joseph wants to respond with both dignity and compassion. If he went through the marriage, he knew that people would conclude that he was the father of the child. But out of concern for Mary, he decided to divorce her quietly, uh, to spare her the devastating disgrace of a public divorce in a small village. As Joseph thought all this through, and perhaps as uh, Uh, You do, I certainly do, pondering a problem, overturning it over in my mind as I sleep. An angel spoke uh, to him, and uh, the angel tells him, Mary has not been unfaithful, but the child that she carries uh, is uh, the result of the Holy Spirit. She's been made pregnant by the Spirit. And Joseph was to accept this child, adopt it, and raise the child as his own. Uh, He was to love a child whom he had nothing to do with in bringing into the world. He won't even get to name the child. He has no part in choosing the name of a, a child. We can imagine that that was hard. Now, this child was an intrusion, a disrupting all his dreams of a normal family life. Joseph's reputation uh, would suffer. Uh, After all, respectable children were not born out of wedlock. Such things simply weren't done in that time and in that place. And we might think, well, it was a great honor for Joseph uh, to be involved in this way. And certainly in some ways it was. And yet there was something, well, that would grate on almost any man, Joseph was left out and imposed on. Joseph immediately obeys, and Matthew compresses the narrative. He writes, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph obeys, but it doesn't mean it was easy. Yes, Uh, He uh, obeys the message uh, as commanded. And in doing so, he uh, is set on a course to come to terms with what God is uh, doing 
as he takes Mary into his home. He has to come to terms with Mary's child. And we too must come to terms with the Christ child. Just how did Joseph overcome uh, the loss of his normal life? He came to understand the child was a gift. It was the names that had been given to this child. Joseph was given insight into the destiny of this child that he would save his people from their sins. And these names are so important that, well, Matthew interrupts the telling of the story to add these words. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Mary and Joseph would both come to see that God was fulfilling his ancient promise from the prophet Isaiah. Not all at once, of course, over a period of time. The identity of this child is Emmanuel. God is with us. The child is not an ordinary boy. God has become human. He has become one of us. And this is a staggering claim. It's hard to accept. It was hard to accept in the first century. We would be very mistaken to think uh, that the people of the first century were gullible and somehow this was something they just readily accepted. That is simply not true. Most of the people who lived in Jesus' day did not accept such a claim any more than most of the people today. This name means that Mary's child can't simply be a teacher or a miracle worker or a philosopher who offers an ethic of nonviolence. No, Emmanuel is the Christian's answer to what God is like. He's not some abstraction. The French mathematician Pascal put it this way, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not the God of the philosophers. Now, if The word God means many things to many people. To a philosopher in the classical uh, theistic tradition, it means God is some supreme absolute. Uh, A Hindu could say without the least bit of hesitation, I am God. Meaning that the one unchanging reality that permeates all reality is as much in them as anywhere else. It simply can't be separated. The atheist would say that God doesn't exist, that he's just a projection of the the desires of our uh, minds and our wanting to have explanations. How can we know? Well, the Bible insists that we all have some sense of the divine. It might be from the night sky or in a glorious sunset, or music, or even the order and correspondence of mathematics to the physical world. The Christian claims that we can know God and know what he's like because he's made himself known in Jesus Christ. Now that's not to say that God can't be known in other ways. It's simply saying that the fullest and most complete revelation of God is in Jesus Christ. God becoming man 
tells us what we otherwise could not know. That God is not some remote, detached uh, ruler, aloof from the world. No, rather, he's passionately concerned with our lives. He takes the initiative in coming uh, to us. He doesn't just tell us about himself. He reveals himself in Jesus Christ. We can know God, not just about him. Now, we can know a great deal about the celebrities and and people who are prominent in the public life of our nation. But it doesn't mean we know them. To know them, they have to invite us into into knowing them in a a real manner. They have to be willing to reveal themselves uh, to us. But God does more than this. Now, as a human, uh, he desires to be in a relationship with us. He humbles himself so that we can have a relationship with him. The God-man becomes, in the God-man, God becomes knowable, understandable. We can relate to him. God meets us right where we are without precondition. And the incarnation allows us to say many, many things about God, much more than we could say in one sermon. In fact, it takes an entire gospel to help us see uh, all that that uh, means. But for the moment, we see this, that God is present among us. God knows firsthand what it's like to be frail, to be mortal, uh, to suffer, and to die. God did not put on a, a costume a disguise. He didn't pretend to be human. No, the creator of the world entered the world as a man and on man's behalf in order to redeem him. God with us means God is on our side. The name given to the child makes this clear. Joseph's also told the child's destiny. The name Jesus means God saves. And the angel adds, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, in Matthew's day, the Jewish people longed to be saved. They longed for deliverance from the oppression of Rome. They longed uh, to be free from the political, economic, and religious oppression that Rome brought. They wanted their independence and freedom as a nation. And this is not what the angel is talking about nor is it what God means when he names the child Jesus. Jesus has come to save us from our sin. And these two words, sin and salvation, well, they need some explanation. Sin is the worst thing in the world and in your life. Israel doesn't see it that way, and we don't either. We tend to think that the worst things in our lives are some circumstance or person. A lack of money, a bad economy, the current crop of politicians, our own child's struggle at school. You boys and girls perhaps think the worst thing in the world is your brother or sister who's mean to you, or possibly a a classmate who's cruel, or your restrictive parents. The Bible teaches that sin is a rejection of God. We either simply do not want God to be in our lives so we can live the way we want, 
or we want to be our own God, determining for ourselves uh, what's right and wrong, uh, what's uh, true uh, and real, what's good and bad. And this rejection of God works its way out in our personal lives to how we order our families, our work, and even society. The Bible says that all the misery that we encounter in the world, all the misery that we ourselves personally experience, all the misery we see around us in our nation and the world is due to sin. It's the root of selfishness, of violence, of greed, and injustice, and hatred. And like a parent whose child rebels against them, uh, rejecting their love, rejecting their values, their way of life, and leaves home. So God is both offended and brokenhearted. And while God is not a human being, God's love can be rejected. And it grieves and pains him. And as a result, a great barrier exists between God and us. We are alienated uh, from God. Our willfulness and ingratitude have aroused his wrath, whose goodness, generosity, and purity can tolerate no evil and no sin. Daily we fashion brick after brick after brick to add to this wall that we've erected uh, between ourselves and God. And God has come in the person of Jesus to mediate between us, to effect reconciliation, to take all the steps necessary to remove this uh, barrier. This is what the word saves means. This biography recounts just how it is that Jesus fulfills his destiny, how he saves us from our sin, from its power and destructiveness. He was born to die in our place and to make peace uh, between us and God, to bring an end to the wrath of God, which we deserve, and to remove from us our animosity toward him. Jesus, and this biography is only relevant if he is both Jesus and Emmanuel, both Savior and God with us. If he's just a man, he cannot save us. He cannot uh, either live the perfect life that God requires, nor receive in his person the just wrath which we have coming. And if he's only God, he could not be our substitute and satisfy God's justice. We'd have no point of contact with him. But he is both. And since he is both, it means that God is on our side. In his birth, God is saying that he's committed to us. He hasn't given up on us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's not leaving us to experience all the rotten fruit of our sin. He has not and will not leave us in our misery. He himself has come. God is pursuing us and offering us reconciliation. This gift is offered to you today. If you have not taken this gift, here it is. To do this, to receive this gift, you must name the Christ child. 
we name him when we confess that he is Emmanuel, God with us. To do that, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble our minds before the mystery of the incarnation, that God could become a man. We have to humble our pride in thinking that we are good or everything's okay in our lives and own the fact that we are ungrateful and uh, morally uh, evil. And we have to humble our wills to submit to him. Those who confess that Jesus is Emmanuel and receive him always receive an intrusion. Not just in the beginning of their relationship with him. It's not just having God present in your life. But he will not be what you expect. It means that he will ask you to continually turn away from yourself. And from all things that you would uh, name as a substitute for him. This intrusion continues the whole of your life if you follow uh, Christ. He disrupts the self-life and he calls us into a, a journey, a life path that means I'll experience more and more of him, more and more salvation of sin, and this will happen as he disrupts so many things in our lives. This is very disruptive. This intrusion comes into our plans and the purposes we have. It comes into every relationship. In every corner of your life, if you surrender to him and receive him, he'll call you to follow. And yet it's all of grace. He's close. He's close even in the most difficult of things. We are never alone, even when we feel betrayed and have no friends. We're not alone. No matter what it is uh, that we might face, God is on our side. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we humble our minds, we humble our pride, we humble our wills, and we confess that Your Son, Mary's child, 
is the Savior. And the you with us, Emmanuel. And we ask, O oh, oh Lord, that you'd be pleased if, for any who are here that your spirit's tugging on that they would say yes to you today. And we pray for ourselves that we would rest in the knowledge that you are with us and that you are for us. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.